Philanthropy Impact podcast. Listen on for insights into philanthropy, impact investing and sustainability. Good afternoon and wait, welcome wait, to our... Wait, no, wait till some people come in. Is it outside? Oh, okay. Too excited. Okay, we should just start then. Uh, Good afternoon and welcome to our member series, Walk In My Shoes, where today we'll be discussing money for good, values-driven wealth management. My name is Bryson Masby and I'm the training executive at Philanthropy Impact. And today is my job to introduce the session and fill in for Zofia. As a membership-driven organization, our main focus is to work with professional advisory space, offer networking and educational opportunities with the aim to support professional advisors to empower their private clients and their families to match their purpose-driven wealth management strategies with their values. This series is part of our free resource to you and the wider network. We encourage the participation of all those in the space to collaborate and learn and share. As this is a short 30-minute session, we encourage your participation in the chat. Please give your thoughts and ask questions. I'm here in the background if you have any issues and would like to know that would like to know more information about the training that we offer. Today, we are joined by a great panel of exceptional minds in the industry. We welcome Karis Gardner, a partner at Morris Turner Gardner, who heads up the charity and immigration teams. And joining Karis, we have James Broderick, the director of the Impact Investing Institute. And finally, Sean Kieran, the CEO of Green Gage, the digital merchant. Facilitating this discussion today is John Pepin, the CEO of Philanthropy Impact. Thank you, for, thank you all for joining us today. Now, now, now hand you over to George. Thanks. Great, thank you very much, Brighton. Um, that's a really helpful introduction. Maybe I could ask each of the panelists to give a quick 30 second overview of who you are and what your interest is in this. And then I would ask you once we've done the three of you to uh, answer the question, what does money for good mean? So, uh, uh, Jamie, could you start off about uh, who you are so people know? Yeah, gladly, John. I'm Jamie Broderick, and I'm Deputy Chair at the Impact Investing Institute. And what, we're, what we try to do is promote the type of investment that flows capital into investments that create a positive social and environmental benefit alongside a financial return. Great, thank you. And you're also on another board, I understand. I'm also on the board of Philanthropy Impact, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That goes for several of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Karis. Yes. Can you hear me, John? Yes. Great. Thank you. Um, yes, I'm a partner in a, a firm of a private wealth um, firm called Morris Turner Gardner. Uh, my interest in this is that um, I act for a number of high net worth and ultra high net worth clients, um, the majority of whom are very interested in philanthropy and supporting, obviously, good causes close to their own hearts. Um, I, I too am uh, on the board of Philanthropy Impact. Thank you. Um, Sean, who are you? 
<laughs> so I, I'm not on the board of Flanthry. Um, uh, uh, Sean Kiernan, the CEO of GreenGage, which is a digital merchant banking pioneer. What we do is offer account services for businesses and high net worths um, with a personal relationship manager. And on the side, we have a business where we can surface uh, funding for them. Uh, we care a lot about impact and, and trying to help entrepreneurs do, do the right thing. Great, thank you very much. So one person with a philanthropic perspective, the other from an impact investing, and the third from a crypto perspective. Would that be fair to say? Okay, so the first question really is, what does money for good mean? And what does it look like? So Karis, if you could talk from a philanthropy mm -hmm. perspective. Yeah, um, obviously money for good, it's obvious that just just from the from the quote itself, uh, it means money for good causes. But of course, it means different things to different people because all my clients have very different ideas of the good that they are seeking to um, achieve, and obviously the charities that they want to support. So very much it depends on the individual. But having said that, in an overall general uh, viewpoint, it means um, putting your your hopefully substantial contributions uh, towards um, a good cause or causes that are close to one's heart. That's how I see it. That's how most of my clients would see it. Uh, there are probably many other um, interpretations of money for good, but uh, that's certainly the one I come across mostly when I'm talking to my, my clients. And do they use that term money for good or? Uh, no, they don't. They don't actually. They, they would normally say, um, I want to put my money uh, to, I suppose they would use the word good, but they would normally think of it as doing good as opposed to, they would, the phrase money for good. Um, so it, yeah, the, the, the word good comes into it all the time. So in that, in that sense, it's a, a well-recognized term. Yeah. And is there any um, a sense of harm versus good? And I'll come to Jamie in a second around that as well. <laughs> Um, yes, yes, to a degree, in the sense that um, uh, when they're looking at setting up their own charities, of course, and then they're looking at um, uh, investing in particular in this situation, uh, there's a quite a strong feeling that investing must be for good, which includes avoiding investing and causing harm by one's investment. So that tends to be where that crops up more than more than anywhere else. Jamie, is, is that your perception of what's happening and what's your, what does money for good mean for you and what's it look like from an impact well, investing perspective? Well, we operate, we operate less in the philanthropic uh, area, although we think there's a continuum between investment all the way into philanthropy. In many respects, we're trying to do some of the same things, but achieving them in different with different approaches. But I think money for good to me is simply a recognition that when you invest there, you can work the you can work your money harder. You can both get a financial return. And if you're intentional, you can also apply it to things that are generating positive impacts socially or environmentally. So there's an intentionality about deploying your investment assets that allows you to get your return, but also do other things, but you have to be focused on it. Is there, is there, um, um, is, does, is there discussion about the harm versus good concept um, when you're talking to people who are doing impact investing? Yes, I think there's, I think most people think about their money doing good, but the, the reality of, of the world is that when you deploy capital, you're going to do some good and some bad. And what you're really trying to do is optimize the good and minimize the bad. But all financial interventions are going to create a combination of good things and bad things. And 
you know, you can picture that with uh, electric cars would be a good example because it leads, it, it helps an investment in electric cars helps promote the electrification of the transport system, but at the same time, it has negative impacts in the uh, in the sourcing of the raw materials to build them. So you really you really need to balance, be aware of the both the positive and the negative impact, and then balance those um, as you make your investment decisions if you're trying to do money for good. So uh, people use different terms, um, impact investing, ESG investing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, is there a distinction that has to be made in this discussion about money for good? Well, I like the, the I like the term money for good because it's very straightforward and clear. I think the ESG investing is an extremely ambiguous term, and nobody quite knows what it's used ambiguously. So some people mean one thing, and other people mean another thing. I like money for good because it's about deploying money to do good things. That's a pretty intuitive concept. I think impact investing is a bit similar in the sense that you're investing and trying to create a positive impact. Um, that's a pretty intuitive. Um, I have a dog now barking at the door, Sean. Sorry about that. Sean, from a crypto perspective, from your perspective, what does money for good mean? And um, is the controversy that exists within crypto in the last year or so uh, having an impact on that? Oh. Uh, definitely. I, I think, and first I'll just explain what we deal with in, in terms of crypto. Um, so a large part of our clients that we offer the uh, corporate accounts to are, are crypto companies. And we also then work with both the traditional sources of funding, so family offices, credit funds, et cetera, to provide debt to our clients, as well as some of the new sources of funding, the likes of uh, what crypto can open up. Um, and so we we work with these technologies and we think they're fascinating in terms of the traceability and and the the plumbing, if you will, of efficiency for the back end of moving money around. Um, but there's also a lot of negatives that we've had to, to cope with. And we, we mentioned ESG. I think the E in terms of the energy use um, for, for running some of these systems is being worked on. Um, but I, I think the one bit that I'd like to highlight uh, is the idea of effective altruism, um, which was um, something that was uh, a, a tagline used for um, Sam Bankman fried at FTX. And I think that has definitely hit the spotlight um, in terms of how he's uh, probably not the best advocate um, of, of tracing funds and, and looking how we can make um, money, that are, uh, money that are given towards good things uh, have, have more of a technocratic um, aspect to, to understanding how that all fits together. I think that is a useful tool, for example, and crypto can help facilitate that with um, the likes of transparency and, and efficient tracking. But I think it's probably not the be all and end all um, by any means of, of properly giving for good. Um, and I'm sure the panel will explore that. Is there a, a actually crypto for good? I think so. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of uh, individuals in the space that care a lot about um, what's good in society. I think initially it started out as a more libertarian movement, um, but not exclusively. And uh, people that have made money or who are uh, engaged in the space are often um, doers, uh, if you will, and they're often keen to, to, to do something, not just for purely financial aspects, but to give back. Um, I, would, I would exclude probably the more speculative trading uh, individuals and in, in that um, analysis. But I, and again, there are a few of them who are quite keen to, to give back. And I know we had one of them attend a Crypto for Good Breakfast that we held uh, together recently at CMS. I'm an individual who made a lot of money and, and was keen to, to 
say thank you by, by engaging in philanthropic endeavors with the funds he'd earned. Um, just to go back to Jamie for a second, and maybe Sean, is the, um, is the whole issue of people being, uh, certain people being against ESG investing um, uh, that seems to be coming up, not so much in this country yet, but um, is that going to be an issue that's going to impact on, uh, on the whole concept of money for good? Well, I think that's a good example of uh, ambiguity, the ambiguity that I was referring to, because I think ESG investing really has two significant dimensions. One is looking at environmental and social and governance issues that affect the value of the companies. And that just looks like good investing. Of course, you when you assess a company, you look at whether uh, the governance is good, whether they're making a hash of their employee relations and whether they're creating uh, environmental problems. But the other piece of ESG investing, this is the ambiguous part, is for many people, it also means you're looking at the extent to which the companies are having a positive impact on society and the environment. The backlash against ESG investing is against the second one, not the first. I think everybody, regardless of political ideology, can agree that when you try to figure out whether a company is a good investment, you should look at the impact of its environmental social behaviors, and then it's governance. That just is so straightforward. But what's happened is the proactive stuff has now contaminated the first. And so you now have situations in the US where it's now not permitted to take account of some very basic investment concepts in uh, assessing the value of a company. Okay, thank you. And the governor of Florida is one of those from what I've been reading in the press? There's a couple of states, yeah. Yeah, okay. Sean, do you have any comments on that? I, I think Jamie covered it well. Okay. Um, and there's a concept within crypto and, and the area that you operate in. Do they uh, use terms like ESG, investing, impact investing, that kind of thing? Increasingly, yes. Um, I think as the sector grows up, uh, uh, there there's a certain trend. Um, I, I, I think we're all familiar with the UN development goals, but the, the idea of firms then engaging with professional capital markets needing to step up and 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 correspond with best practice uh, that's definitely been a trend that we've seen with the bigger firms um it 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 runs against to a certain extent the um the earlier libertarian uh, ideology i think esg is is working through through that but um, as soon as you hit a certain size um and and you engage with sophisticated monies um uh, this is this is how um, we, we need to operate these days. Okay, uh, Karis, are you picking up on any of this stuff with your clients at all as a part of, of the uh, nature of discussions or anything like that? Well, a bit in the sense that clearly picking up on Jamie's point, um, everyone agrees that um, we do need to uh, help the environment. Uh, everyone, No one would say that you know, supporting and improving social social issues, society in general, are bad things. But um, when it comes to ESG as the concept that we're talking about now, I think most of them would say that they are talking to their investment advisors about that. They don't really come to me to talk about the investment side so much as um, uh, also all I hear is sometimes people rolling their eyes, which could I pick up on Jamie's point that um, the second of his two, two um, uh, prongs there uh, seems to be the one that people think of when they think of ESG. 
which isn't necessarily a good thing because it's give, it's almost giving it a bad name when I don't think it really should have a bad name, if you see what I mean. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'd like to talk a bit about research for a second and, and uh, if you could uh, uh, discuss the implications of it. So uh, before I talk about the research that we just recently did, um, there was a study that came out from Fidelity uh, Charitable Research that just uh, that showed that uh, firms who offer charitable planning to their clients had six times the medium assets of those who don't, three times organic growth, 1.3 uh, times new money and higher trust levels. Uh, the, another one that came out, Investing for Global Good and Power for Good in 2022 from Canton Wealth, it uh, basically uh, indicated, the research indicated that older generations, that there's a growing demand for and satisfaction and impact investing which uh, seems to go against what I hear a lot from advisors um, and stuff. Our research is a bit different from that. Um, we have a, a, a we work with uh, millennials, Gen Z, and women of wealth, and we have special committees around that. Uh, so we uh, asked um, uh, some people, uh, consultants, to just do a preliminary look at this whole thing. So they interviewed eleven millennials and Gen Z wealth holders and nine professional advisors. Um, the conclusion they came to was that the world is changing and with it, the needs and expectations of wealth holders are changing and that they're increasingly seeking to align their wealth with their uh, values. Um, the interesting thing that came out of the study other than that, which sort of reinforced other studies was um, that the advisory industry is uh, falling short of the expectations of the emerging wealth holders. And if you take the Camden uh, 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 report, that would apply as well. So what they said was that there's significant obstacles uh, to uh, the professional advisory committee that they're seeing uh, supporting uh, what they want to, to do with their money and that they're starting to disengage, i.e. fire their advisors. So they see that in the firms, there's a lack of clear strategy and services. The knowledge and credibility is low, and there's a lack of uh, leadership commitment. And, and basically, it, it looks like if, if uh, firms want to do this, then they can benefit from client retention, differentiation, talent attraction, and compliance. Um, and so that's sort of a very quick overview of the three studies. Um, so what are your impressions of that in terms of, of, um, of what we're talking about, about money for good? Who would like to start? Harris? Shall I, I start? Um, yeah, absolutely. All those things resonate really, really clearly with me. Um, what I would say is that where people are looking to... Um, engage in philanthropy, um, the first port of call should be their wealth advisors. So every wealth advisor I talk to these days, I say, do you have a philanthropy offering? Because if not, you should have partly because, well, mainly because, you know, they, they're the ones who will be able to say to people, look, you've got enough wealth already to look after yourself and your family in retirement, your, your, your spouse in retirement. Um, so they, they, they do that whole exercise of, how much money do you actually need to see you through to the end of your life? Therefore, how much money could you afford to give away? Um, that's partly what I do. But of course, I don't have necessarily have the whole 
um, financial spectrum of all their money and assets and pensions and so on. But of course, wealth advisors do in that in that sense of the word, the sort of the IFAs of this world. Um, so I think they're missing a massive trick there in terms of, um, you know, helping, not helping, shall we say, their clients um, in at least thinking about philanthropy. And, and many people, in my experience, don't think about it unless it's raised with them, not because they're mean, but because it's something that hasn't really uh, you know, st struck home with them. They, um, they they're, Sometimes they're only too happy to have suggestions that they've got enough money, if they wanted to give anything to charity, was there some, some cause dear, dear to their heart that they might want to um, give to? And so, you know, that sort of gets the conversation going, at least, which is the only way you're ever going to increase giving, particularly from people who haven't started giving already and therefore don't know their way around. Okay, thank you. Jamie, uh, what are the implications of this research from, from your perspective, especially when you look at ESG, which seems to be going up like that? Well, I, I mean, I like Karis's description because I think once, you know, when you ask, what is the money for? What is the money trying to achieve? You get into a conversation with the family that is multi-generational, touches on values, and that, that conversation itself deepens the relationship with the family on a multi-generational basis. All those things are just what the doctor ordered for somebody who's trying to solidify their client base. So if you're a financial advisor, this is, this is a gift. This conversation on values, on philanthropy and philanthropic intentions is a gift to deepen that relationship and maintain the loyalty. I mean, when you, you mentioned the Fidelity research, Fidelity research uh, found that the net promoter score, if anybody uses that, um, was 67. I mean, it's a very, very high score for advisors who are engaging in this conversation. So I think it, there's an important business imperative for advisors to be having this conversation because that is the that is the essence of the relationship with the family. And that is where you build the loyalty that maintains the stability of the relationship and ultimately the value of the business. Yeah. But it's just not talking about philanthropy, is it? No, it's what is the money for? What do you what do you want the money to do? What is it what is it intended to do? And some of that is philanthropic, but some of it is is the deployment of your investment assets in ways that I mean you're basically going to people and saying, do you want to deploy your assets, your investment assets indifferent to the impact that it has or do you want to try to create positive impact while you're getting your financial return? So no, it's not just about philanthropy, it's the whole spectrum of uh, of deployment of assets. I find it really intriguing where we have specialized training around the whole consumer duty and suitability discussions. Um, and um, I've been in conversations with a number of senior uh, of people within the finance industry at chief executive level. And uh, they're so preoccupied with uh, just getting the basics of consumer duty. Uh, there hasn't been hardly any discussion of, of philanthropy, of, sorry, of, of training. I was at a conference the other day, it was all around consumer duty, 200 people in the room, 200 people online, and the only person that brought up training was me. Um, and so it's an outlier around all that. Um, are you finding, Jamie, that uh, from a consumer duty perspective, that uh, there's a long way to go around this? Well, I think there is, but I think they're regular. I mean, the FCA has said quite explicitly that we don't see how you can assess the suitability of your recommendations to clients without examining what their what their value preferences are. I mean, it's just part of maintaining uh, sustainable uh, suitability. So 
that's a pretty basic requirement that an advisor assess suitability. And if, and if probing on values is part of that, then it actually ends up being a regulatory requirement that you have something, a conversation along these lines. Yeah, that's a, the that's a message we're trying to get across. Uh, but it's, it's quite fascinating um, how um, our specialty is teaching how to have those conversations and not in the product. And it's fascinating having these discussions with senior people and um, how they're, they're, where their focus is. Sean, what, what are you uh, seeing in this whole area in terms of this? I, I saw there was a question as well about Silicon Valley Bank and kind of the over-focus on, on ESG. Um, if I may, uh, I, I think there's a component um, of, of looking through ESG and working with it, which can be performative. Um, and I think the danger of that is if, if we're producing glossy reports, which kind of speak to credentials for ESG, but if you don't kind of live and breathe an ethical or a good philosophy for, for a business or for, for, for advisors working with families. I think there's, um, there's, there's an issue that becomes tick box as opposed, as opposed to um, uh, real or essential. Um, and I think uh, one, one of the things that we're, we're seeing is uh, particularly in, in our industry, which is more, I would say in the technological space, people are expecting to have, fun and expecting to have a human connection um and and charity is one of those things that breaks through because uh, e even for someone that thinks thinks like a, a techie um uh, if you have uh, a component of an interpersonal relationship which could span generations or just a fir first generation wealth they they then have uh, um something which is outside of the the day-to-day um, approach that most other firms would would bring to them, which is purely, uh, and unfortunately, when you enter into a technical world, almost the law of averages, where um, everyone's looking to systematize relationships. And what we're trying to do, and what we th think people respond to, is when there is something that is touching them. Um, uh, so even in our world of, of crypto, uh, I think um, th these themes uh, do cut through. Um, and, and help people to, to see the wood from the trees and not just have uh, necessarily a performative um, approach to, to, to doing the right thing. So philanthropy and impact investing can be fun as well. So it's just uh, crypto. <laughs> Do you not agree with that, Jamie? <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. <laughs> um, okay. Um, there are, there's a whole bunch of other questions I'd like to ask about how SDGs fit into all this. Um, but I guess I'll end, uh, we've got four minutes. So um, if we look at, look at um, um, uh, the uh, trends and look at uh, the giving, for example, I mean, uh, giving is really a low um, compared to what it uh, could be. So uh, recent research from HMRC uh, self-assessment data showed that the average monthly donation was 48 pounds. Uh, and I know earlier research was showing that medium gifts were anywhere from 500 to a couple thousand. Um, that means half the wealthiest people in the country are giving considerably less than, uh, than that medium. Um, so um, what uh, we have three minutes. So what's the solution to giving, getting more giving in, in uh, these areas, getting more impact investing and, and uh, uh, making crypto like the best and good? <laughs> So 
Well, I, let, let me start off by saying um, keep keep the conversations going and, uh, you know, really engage the uh, successive generations as well. Don't just talk to the, uh, you know, the, the sort of the, the older generation, but bring in the next gen, uh, because I think they, ha they are, in my experience, they are a lot more uh, philanthropically minded. Certainly, they want impact, and that's that's the key. So the, the overlap here, philanthropy versus impact, that is very, very close in their minds. So I think that's where... Uh, we will be moving over gradually to the impact investing scene rather than pure philanthropy. Amy, how do we grow more impact investing? I think Karis has just said it, which is to say that both with respect to impact investing and with respect to philanthropy, I think uh, clients want to know where their money is actually going. So it's not just a question of writing a check to a, to a charity. I want to see where my money goes. I want to see what it actually achieves. I want to be involved in the things that it ends up uh, funding. I think the, the increasing the engagement with where the money is going, both on the impact investing side and on the philanthropy side, would make a big difference. It makes it much more interesting, much more compelling when you know where the where the money is going. And I think that's where blockchain has something to contribute. John, over to you. Um, I, I think in our space, I mean, actually, there's an outsized contribution to philanthropy from people that have made money in, in crypto. I think because it's new new money, and they're they're, they're keen to uh, to give back. Um, I think there's two groups. One are the, the entrepreneurs, and the other are the, the next gen, and and typically families that have found this as a as an interesting um, uh, industry. Uh, th there's various ways to use the technology. The likes of uh, the Giving Block, which is an app that. Um, uh, people can then connect with charities and crypto donations is one way to just get exposure to to a new a new group of potential donors. Um, but I think uh, to Jamie's point, the technology can help open up ways of tracing things, but also make it hopefully a little bit more fun. Um, if if you can share uh, personal stories in a gamified space, and here the metaverse, I think John, you and I have discussed once or twice, might be a way to do it. I mean, this is super early days, but um, when when you can. Uh, just tickle people a little bit to, to have that sense of joy when they do something good uh, can only be a good thing. Interesting, because one of the groups, the banks that we train, NetBank, has, has already established a location on the metaverse. Um, so I think that's coming, whatever the, whatever it is. Okay, so we only have a few seconds left. Final words of wisdom. Um, uh, Jamie. You know, just from a straight business standpoint, regardless of how motivated you are by values, I think from a straight business standpoint, the things we're talking about are going to improve a wealth management or financial advisory business because it improves the, the uh, loyalty with the client and, and the persistency of the client relationship. So I just think if you are, you're a business person running a wealth business, you need to be thinking a lot harder about this. Great, thank you. Uh, Sean. Uh, if people are interested more in the crypto side of this, we have a little LinkedIn group we set up called Crypto Philanthropy. I'll put the link uh, in the box if anyone would like to join. That's something that our two organizations have set up after the breakfast. Yeah. Karis. Uh, All I would say is don't be afraid of uh, talking to your clients about the, this area, both impact investing and philanthropy, because um, the more the more we do, the more people are going to relate to it and you know, hopefully take it on board and do something. Great. Thank you all. Oh, that was really fabulous. Thank you very much. Uh, 30 minutes went too quickly. Mm -hmm.